Buddhist geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 101, Hollow Bone Zen. Junpo Roshi, an American Zen master in the Rinzai Zen tradition, joins us to describe the way that his Zen community has refreshed and reinvigorated the core teachings of the Buddha for contemporary America. This is part two of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or a small recurring donation by visiting buddhadharma20.com slash donate. So a question that's coming to mind now is just looking around, I can see that there are a lot of Zen teachers, second, third generation Zen teachers that are keeping the forms very similar to how they'd been taught. And a lot of them seem pretty enlightened in a way. I'm thinking more socially enlightened, like they're aware of the hierarchical structure. So I'm wondering why it is that you ended up ditching that to some degree and really transforming the, the practices or the, the culture surrounding it. And why haven't other people done that? Well, they're starting to. They're starting to, yeah. You know, Dharma's coming from the east to the west. And I had a conversation with the Dalai Lama uh, in India 15 years ago about these problems of why teachers, like myself, why do we have such feet of clay? Why are we continually erring, not living fully compassionately engaged? And he said, uh, their insight's not deep enough. And I said, well, I can't be. So, I mean, they've spent 30 years in a cave. They've studied with you for 15 years. Mm -hmm. As if somehow insight in itself was enough to do that. Mm. And what it seems that we have awakened in the West mm -hmm. to a deeper understanding of psychological, such as NLP and other systems of way of looking at the mind. And this has been missing. It's like these stage and state experiences that we have are always filtered back through our intersubjective consensual agreement. So if I have a deep spiritual experience and I'm coming out of a mythopoetic Christian tradition, I think in terms of saints or Christ, a Buddhist has a different language, a Taoist has a different language. So this is how it always is. And what we've done now is, in, in my understanding, is in the West we've awakened a little more in another way. So now that then now can filter back in. Mm. So I, I just see it as a refinement Mm -hmm. and a reshuffling of the deck. Mm -hmm. You see that as starting to happen on a more wider scale? Yes. Mm -hmm. Because of the frustration with the autocratic systems that are coming in right. and bringing their cultural biases. Right. right. And we just go, well, where's that at? Well, that's another time, another space. So we say, okay, let's mm -hmm. take what we know, integrate it in, yeah. and create a, a more conscious vehicle. Right. And it sounds like there's some problems that arise from that previous intersubjective space Ooh, is that basically what you said that there's this kind of consensual agreement in the then it's kind of a autocratic and imperialistic that, that there's problems that arise well, in those kind instance, of communities like one of the complaints at the meeting with the dalai lama was that the nuns are outside right in tibet out in the snow and the novitiate boys right. are in at the foot of the master and these women are enlightened and have been busting dishes a long time. Mm -hmm. So we said, how can that be? And he said, well, that's a cultural problem. Mm. He said, you know, I can't change that. So how does all that change? So that takes, you know, time and, and the realization people have to wake up everywhere before that can happen. 
my Abbott and teacher, right. Hiroshi, he and I would have conversations and he would say, there is no Zen outside of Japanese culture. Yeah. And that's true, right, from one point of view. Mm. And what I would say is, well, it can't be. You're saying that a lot to teachers around the world, aren't you? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, we can't become Japanese yeah. no matter what. You know, so this idea of creating Japan here is just out of sync. And what he's saying is that it's true that you can't have Zen separate from the the culture that it's that it's involved in. It's like mm. Zen, some separate thing, and that manifests right. itself in a way. So I'm saying, no, you know, autocratic, patriarchal, mm-hmm. aristocratic rule can't question the abbot that in japan works but it doesn't work here right Right. so what we need to do is take the baby in the bath water and pour slowly pour the bath water out and what do we keep well we go back to the foundational teachings Mm -hmm. right you know tibetan buddhism to me is a combination of tantric hinduism Mm -hmm. and bon Mm -hmm. with a buddhist philosophical overlay yeah right and uh, China, it's Taoism and Buddhism together, yeah. right? And Japan is Shinto and Chinese Buddhism, right. Taoism, Shintoism, you know, coming into, the, into Japanese culture. So these forms are always that integration. Yeah. But if you look inside each one of them, you, and for me, it was very frustrating because I looked at each one and said, well, why? They just, they threw the, the foundation out. They threw the fundamental teaching. For instance, reincarnation. I say I've been reincarnated. I mean in this life. Mm -hmm. So this idea of reincarnation as a continuing personality, right? When you get deeply into Buddhist argument, you'll find that that falls away, this idea of the personality continuing. But inside of a cultural context, you Mm -hmm. have ancestral worship and everything that was going on forever coming out of the Taoist tradition and the Bon tradition. Right. So that comes back in. So that, you know... For me, nonsense, whereas Buddhism for me is absolutely and purely agnostic. Right? Mm. We're more concerned with, hey, we have things to talk about rather than projections. But that all comes, you know, and, and so we say, okay, no matter which tradition, go back to the foundational teachings. Right. right that are uh, the three marks or the three statements that the whole Buddhist system is built upon are, mm-hmm. Im- are impermanence, right? How wonderful. Get impermanence. Nothing lasts. If I truly experience impermanence, then I'm in gratitude for whatever is because everything's on loan. And it's a <laughs> temporary relationship. That's a shift in understanding. He said that need to be tasted and understood. If you really grok it, then you don't grab anymore. Clinging and attachment's the problem. Mm-hmm. The second is that with life comes pain. Mm-hmm. Stop running and hiding from pain. Bring it on. It's like, oh, interesting. Wouldn't that be different if I stopped ducking and hiding from pain? And then finally, knock, knock. Who's there? Nobody. (laughs) (laughs) At the center right now of your personality and your being is absolute pure emptiness or shunyata. The idea of a soul or a concept of a continuing thing is a neuro-linguistic philosophical construct that allows you comfort, but it's existent there only, and it arises in the absolute purity of your being. Well, suppose I existed in purity of being, receptivity, and openness as a philosophical dictate, right? A neurolinguistic dictate as opposed to, you know, I'm Vince or I'm my feelings or, you know, what a different universe we'd live in. And that's the transformation that's necessary is to stand underneath those three truths. Then from there he said, okay, then there are following those three givens or the truths, there's the four noble truths that suffering or pain exists. It exists because of attachment and confusion, right? 
there's an end to it, yes, and then here's this path or way. Mm-hmm. So for me, path or way goes back down into the process of mondo, mm. right? which takes you apart, deconstructs you, allows you to have insight, mm-hmm. and allows you to claim that insight, reorganize yourself, then gives you injunctions in your life where you can go out and see if that's true or not. Mm-hmm. Back to the Buddhist uh, instruction as well. Do not mm-hmm. trust teachers or teachings or institutions. Try it on and see if it works. Right? So this is a modern reorganization and presentation of what I consider to be a purely classical Buddhist teaching vehicle. Mm-hmm. And it's continually, I hate the word organic, <laughs> but it's an organic process. It's evolving. It's changing moment by moment. It's just wonderful. It's really frustrating for the teachers within our organization because it's always changing. Right. It's learning and growing. Mm. And that'll be the case during my tenure. For instance, there are five training elements inside the, the vehicle of hollow bones or Mondo Zen. And the first training element, and this came out of the, our community, is sacred stewardship or environmental consciousness and awareness. Mm. If you want to talk about spirituality, I'm going to look in your refrigerator. What are you feeding yourself and your family? Is Monsanto in there? Right. And what are you spending your money on? Mm. Are you, is the clothing on your body, is it responsible for the death of the Gulf? Right. <laughs> are you putting all of those uh, pesticides and preservatives and, and things in you? How can one be in conscious relationship with spirit, right, when you're causing enormous pain because of unconscious behaviors. Mm-hmm. We're saying look at those behaviors and see what they really cost, right? You know, what they cost you physically, what they cost you emotionally, denial. Cynicism and denial and hypocrisy are not a high spiritual state. Right? So we need to really look at those. And the second is philosophical reindoctrination. Who are you? Where do you abide? Where do you take your seat? Who are you as a conscious being? That has to be articulated. If you can't articulate it, you can't live it. We live neurolinguistically. Mm-hmm. So tell me the story. Where do you abide? Who are you? So are you willing to philosophical transformation and stand in a different place? And then the third is emotional maturity and integrity. Mm. Do you understand that anger is inconceivable? That what anger is is a violent manifestation and projection of deep caring that's insane and are you insane not anymore Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then where in your life is that true Mm -hmm. oops may have to change here right and then we say okay conscious embodiment Uh, ashtanga yoga qigong tai chi taekwondo Mm. gardening tango dancing do you need a form to express and appreciate that and then finally genuine insight Are you awake? Do you know what genuine insight is? And can you tell me about it again? So those are the five training elements Mm. that are the compression of the eightfold Buddhist path or the eight limbs of yoga Mm. in modern times. That's really cool. Yeah, so we tidied it up, pulled it together, Mm -hmm. tried to make it a little more ordinary and normal. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, next week, the 29th, we go into Rahatsu Sashin, mm-hmm. which is seven days of, you know, five in the morning till nine at night. We're not extreme. I trained in Japan. It was 3.30 in the morning till 11 at night. And what we do is we add, we add the philosophical and we do Qigong practice or yoga practices as well. We have periods of physical conscious practice during that. So it's a modified a bit mm-hmm. right, to make it more, uh, in my opinion, more effective. Mm. Right. So that's how we bring this teaching forward. Nice. But we say it's required that you go off on deep retreat and train yourself. Mm-hmm. And that for me simply is the truth of the mechanics of having to do a reformation. 
one needs an enormous amount of input, quality and clarity and, and caring in a very precise fashion. Mm. So that's what the re retreat structure does. I go, okay, this is going to be memorable. Why? Because I'm taking a week out of my life. I'm entering to silence and I'm facing myself directly and going through this process. That kind of experience is deep enough. It's intense enough. It's insulting enough to be, <laughs> to be memorable. So that's why we do it. So I say, well, can I just practice a day here and a day there? Like today during the meditation practice, you know, after about uh, people start squirming at about 30 minutes and then just said, hey, every time you turn away, every time you squirm, you're, you're defeating yourself and you're starting over. Like, why would you do that? Right? So here's this concentrated time to make it memorable. But at the old style, it was just go meditate, go back to the zendo, back to the zendo. No, back to the zendo, back to the meditation hall does not solve the philosophical or psychological problem. Mm. That has to be dealt with directly and essentially. Mm -hmm. right? And that's classical Buddhist practice once again. Buddhist mm. practice and meditation does not begin with meditation. The path begins with correct understanding. Right. And what right follows view. correct understanding, right view, is right thought, right speech. Now, thought, from the Buddhist perspective, includes feeling. Mm. These are just skandhas. An emotional feeling is simply a sense of mind. It's no different than seeing or hearing. How upset do you get when you have a big bright color or a big, big sound? It's like, well, that's interesting. But then you take a feeling, right? You go, oh, my God, the sky is falling. No, you just have something that really matters. Feeling is always just giving information. Feeling is sacred. It is not to be abused. <laughs> what do you feel? What are you feeling? What is the meaning? And what do you need to do? So that's a reframe. That's a philosophical reframe, mm. understanding the nature of feeling. You have never been subject to overwhelming feelings. You're confused about the nature of feeling. You weren't taught you didn't enter into, into silence. You didn't go deep enough into your very self to discover the true nature of your own mind. So you're buying the program that comes with neurological flight or fright response. Sometimes you're overwhelmed because somebody's going to eat you or kill you. You know, then it's really good to get excited and run mm -hmm. <laughs> or even to experience anger historically from a reptilian brain point of view. Okay? We've developed high order consciousness. We're not rational creatures. So to respond in those ignorant patterns, I don't mean stupid, but to ignore the truth of what we now know, mm. you know, is, is just silly. Right? Mm. So again, from here, it's like, oh, okay, anger is intense presence and deep caring. What are you going to do with it? It isn't displaying some violence. That's over because now you're, you've been informed and transformed and awakened and enlightened. Those fundamental shifts mm. are, are essential. And to, again, to concentrate that in a, in a retreat format makes it more memorable because you need to remember it and be able to do it. So develop the ability through meditative training to stay absolutely present in the face of anything right? and reframe your understanding of the nature of your cognitive and emotional process and be the master of yourself in any situation. Bingo. That's the Eightfold <laughs> Path, essentially. Yeah, it's the Eightfold Path dropped into a nice little box where it makes sense. Like, why bother? Mm -hmm. you know, why am I doing this and where do I see it in my life? Mm. You know? So, yeah, we'll just mention that mondozen.org is where you can find out more about Jumbo's Hollow Bones order and, and what you guys are doing. You're, I guess, leading retreats periodically all over the place. and Yeah, around the country. Around the country. And you do, sounds like week-long retreats, but I'm sure you do shorter things as well. Yeah, not too much shorter. We will do more 
but the reason for the seven day retreat is you need the average person needs about five days. Right. Otherwise, by the end of the second day or the third day, you're just extremely frustrated, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you haven't broken through. Right. So what we say is we don't want to rob you. Mm-hmm. It's better to do one day if you can't do it, or two days if you can't. But again, it's like oh, well, that was interesting. But what we want to do yeah. is make sure that there's enough momentum. Yeah, so you get a good degree of insight and understanding. Gotcha. Do you do longer training periods? I have personally, Mm -hmm. but we found a week to be, if it's correctly run, a week to be adequate. Cool. Mm -hmm. The longest I've done is a 30-day, 30-day retreats, some 12 days retreats, a couple of 14 days. But Mm -hmm. in looking at all of them, uh, you you can do it, but that would be a great luxury. Most Mm -hmm. people don't have the, uh, the time or the resources. Right. And I don't think it's necessary. I'm convinced that a week is adequate and then go back and integrate it into your life and then come again. To do a retreat every six months for four or five years mm-hmm. is one good way to practice. Mm-hmm. So, but come in and get go through the Mondo process mm-hmm. and get re-indoctrinated right? so, that you, so that you have a different place to stand. Then when you go to practice, it's like the difficulty of practice is, yes, it's painful. Yes, it's a struggle. How interesting, how enjoyable. Right. Because you're, trans- you're in transformation. You know what you're doing. You're transforming your state. You're not struggling against anything more. Now you've surrendered into the process and you feel the pain and the difficulty of the transformation, but you're coming from a different place. You're coming from purity and emptiness rather than coming from egocentric struggle, mm-hmm. right? which is one of the arguments that's made between the two Zen schools, Soto and Rinzai. Soto, we say, oh, just sit, just sit. And Rinzai says, penetrate and wake up and one says oh you're so egocentric and we say oh you've so missed the point (laughs) (laughs) and the argument continues (laughs) for for entertainment join us for the fourth annual buddhist geeks conference hosted in partnership with mindful cyborgs and shambhala sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, Abbot of the Village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and Pragmatic Dharma Provocateur Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.